Good morning. God bless you, my beloved. This is Minister S.M. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship. Coming to you with the second installment of our weekly program, The Truth of the Gospel. The Truth of the Gospel. I've got the air on, but for some reason it's still hot. The Truth of the Gospel. The Truth of the Gospel. We're going to continue in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to try to get from verse 10 through verse 20 from verse 10 through verse 20 and then Thursday Lord willing we will finish chapter 4 because it has 32 verses so we're going to try to get from verse 10 through verse 20 so we'll we stopped at verse 10 on uh, Thursday and then we'll pick up at verse 10 today and then go line upon line precept upon precept we'll go from verse 10 hopefully end at verse 20 I want to say good morning to you all. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you're staying safe. We hope that you have a blessed uh, 4th of July. Um, we hope that your neighborhood didn't sound like um, uh, D-Day <laughs> last night. I know I, I, I admit I bought some fireworks. I hadn't bought fireworks in 50 years, but I bought some fireworks yesterday. I wanted to show my grandson how to safely use them. So they had a little three for one uh, sale at the fireworks at one of the local fireworks stores so I, I bought some fireworks but the ones that I had were nothing compared to some of the other ones some of the other ones going off sounded like um, the Tet Offensive in Vietnam or something but anyway so we did blow off some fireworks last night in our neighborhood I don't know about your subdivision your neighborhood but our neighborhood they they get real active when it comes to fireworks and I got a feeling there's gonna be some more fireworks tonight and I drove around the neighborhood this morning because I had to go to the store. And I saw just all kind of uh, debris from bottle rockets and mortars. And just all, I tried to pick most of mine up last night. But I saw all kind of leftover debris from, uh, from the fireworks display. So hopefully that was a safe. You have to be careful on fireworks. They can do some damage. They can... You know, blow your hands off, your fingers, put an eye out, etc. So hopefully your 4th of July was blessed, that you had time to spend with family and friends, that you spent, that you practiced social distancing, the mask, the usual, etc. So we're going to start today with verse 10 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. After we have a word of prayer to our Heavenly Father, we're going to ask him to open, to continue to open the eyes of our understanding that we may understand his word and that we might, we may not, and so that we may not only uh, read His Word, but understand His Word and apply His eternal Word to our hearts through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your for the privilege of mentioning your name. The blessed name of your Holy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, and majesty and dominion, both now and forever. We ask that you open the eyes of our understanding, that you fill us with the Holy Spirit, that there be a manifestation of fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit as a result of this lesson and as, as a result of preaching and teaching all over the world. We pray there be a great manifestation of your Spirit according to your good, acceptable, and perfect will. By Jesus Christ we pray. His name is glorious forever. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 4 we're going to pick up at verse 10 and then we'll go from there all right let me read first let me read ephesians 4 10 through 20 
and then we'll we'll pick up at verse 10. Ephesians 4:10. He that descended, talking about Jesus, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of, its, of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. Let me stop for a second. I'm having a technical issue right here. Um, I've got it on the wrong Facebook page, so please forgive me. Okay, I'm going to delete that, delete. And I was on the wrong Facebook page. And again, if you'll just be patient with me for a second. Uh, let's see, select all. Nope, I didn't mean to do that. Select that, select that, copy that, go to the right Facebook page. Sometime my grandson plays with this while I'm out of the room. It looks like he upset the balance there a little bit. So he's four years old, but he's very technologically uh, advanced. I have to keep an eye on him. He's on YouTube and all that. I have to watch him. All right. I believe we're on the right faith because I wanted to put it on the Buffalo Facebook page as well as my personal Facebook page. I may have been there. Maybe maybe I was wrong, but it looked like it was not on the Buffalo Facebook page. I've got a lot of loyal listeners on the Buffalo Facebook page, and I didn't, I didn't want to um, uh, block them out. So anyway, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's start at verse 10. Remember we were talking last week, we, we, we were kind of figuring out trying to figure out what what did the Lord mean when he told Paul to say, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? I don't want to revisit that argument right now it would, because it would be very time-consuming. Let's just say that Jesus came, that the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So let's say there was, in, there was the incarnation where the, where the word of God, according to John, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, the word of God became flesh. God became flesh in the person of his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And so let, let, I don't want to get into today, you know, what did it mean he descended to the lower parts of the earth and that whole argument about, you know, did, did Jesus go into hell after his crucifixion? I don't want to get into that today. I, I, I discussed that Thursday. So if you want to hear more about that, listen to my lesson from Thursday, July um, 2nd. So today I want to move on. We know he descended. We know that he came. He, he, he died on the cross for our sins. He literally laid down, sacrificed his life for our sins. And God literally raised him from the dead. So we know that. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. All right. The ascension of Jesus is, a, I told you, Thursday is a biblical historical fact. Mark 16 and 9 says that after Jesus had given commandments to his apostles, he ascended back to the right hand of the Father. Uh, Luke 24, 51. John, John does not have an ascension passage, but it does have passages where Jesus says, Father, restore unto me the glory that I had with you before the world was. So in that passage, Jesus is, is, is predicting, he's prophesying, he's praying about, praying for, but Jesus never prayed anything that the Father did not you know, grant unto him. So, so he prays, Father, restore unto me the glory that I had with you before the world was. That was before his crucifixion. So he's saying, Father, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And then I pray that you will restore me, of course, raise me from the dead and restore me to your right side. Uh, and so after Jesus was uh, raised from the dead, he, uh, he walked. The, I'm having trouble concentrating because they're showing this uh, cop again with his knee on this man's uh, uh, neck on TV. And I'm trying not to watch it, but it's very difficult. Uh, he's, and this cop has this expression on his face like, you know, he's just drinking some coffee at Starbucks or something. And so I probably should have, I didn't know this was going to show up on the TV. I've got the TV on mute. But anyway, there is no ascension passage in John, but there are pl plenty of scriptures that give, um, that give um, uh, testimony to the ascension of Jesus. And then there's Acts 1, 9, after Jesus had given commandments to his apostles whom he had chosen. Uh, he said, wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Uh, you remember his disciples that asked him, Lord, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? They were looking for Jesus to be that messianic uh, king who would sit on the throne of David and restore Israel to the former glory, to the good old days of kings David and King Solomon. And uh, Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father has put in his own power. Then he says, but I've got some power for you, but it's not the kind of power y'all looking for. Y'all looking for political power, to get Rome off your feet, to get the Caesars off your, off your neck, if you will. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to give you a different kind of power. You shall receive dunamis or dynamite. You shall receive dunamis power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. So the power that Jesus promised is a different power, a greater power, more eternal power than the the disciples were looking for political power. They were looking for Israel to be restored back to the good old days of, of the kings, uh, of certain kings, especially David and Solomon, the, the glory days, if you will, the good old days. All right, so Jesus ascended back to heaven in Acts 1-9. As he ascended, a, a, a cloud uh, received him, and he, he disappeared out of their sight. And the angels, two angels stood by and said, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who has ascended to heaven, he shall so come again in like manner. All right, so that's another ascension passage. 
All right, so so that's uh, Ephesians 4.10. Okay? All right, now let's go to 4.11. After Jesus ascended, the disciples were supposed to stay in Jerusalem. They did stay in Jerusalem in, the, in what we call the upper room. There was a large upper room. There were approximately 120 disciples there, including the original 11 of the original 12 apostles. Uh, let's see if I've got my facts straight here. Okay, the, the, the disciples chose another apostle. They prayed about it and said, Lord, uh, will you replace Judas who betrayed you and committed suicide? Uh, please replace him. And they replaced Judas with a, an apostle, with a, a disciple named Matthias. All right, so now 11 was restored back to 12. That's Acts chapter 1 also. And so they're in the upper room because Jesus said, wait here until you receive the promise of the Father. Don't, 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 don't try to do anything on your own. <laughs> wait here until you receive the promise. The promise of the Father, of course, the Holy Spirit. All right? So um, after Jesus had uh, walked the earth for 40 days and shown himself to his uh, certain uh, uh, disciples, about 500 disciples, he gave the commandment to stay in Jerusalem until you be in, and do it with power from on high. He ascended back to heaven. The disciples stayed in the upper room. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came as a rushing mighty wind, etc. All right. So the Holy Spirit came. As Jesus promised uh, he would, uh, John baptized you with water. You shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. All right. And because the Holy Spirit would be needed to set up the church. You can't set up, you, you can't set up the church. You couldn't set up the church in human strength. It wasn't going to work. We saw what happened when human strength tried to, tried to handle the situation. When Peter said, Lord, I will never betray you. We saw what happened when human strength tried to handle the situation. The church of God has to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. If it's not empowered by the Holy Spirit, it has no power. Uh, even, even worldly people know that in order to build things and give them power, you have to ha have some kind of power source within them. You don't see Ford or Chevrolet or Mercedes-Benz or Kia or Buick. You don't see them building cars and then not putting engines in them. You don't see them building cars and not putting transmissions in them. Because if you build a car and not put an engine in them or a transmission, you're going to have nothing but a pretty shell, an outer shell. A beautiful car, a beautiful Mercedes of uh, five class or three class, a beautiful Chevrolet Silverado. I love the Silverado truck. A beautiful Toyota Tundra, a beautiful Nissan Titan truck, a beautiful Nissan Sentra with no power. You got to put the engine in there. And not only do you have to put the engine in there, you've got to put a transmission in there. For without the transmission, the car cannot go forward or backwards. All right. So if the world knows that, then obviously God knows it also. So the disciples without the Holy Spirit are like a pretty car with no engine, no, no power. So the Lord sent the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4, he gave some, I'm going to add the words to be. He gave the word, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Let me read that one more time, then I'll give you my best explanation, and then we will continue. Ephesians 4.11, and he gave some, I'm, I'm going to add the words, to be. He gave some to be apostles, and some prophets to be prophets, 
and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. All right, so let's let's look at verses. Uh, let's look at Ephesians four eleven. I, I find it very in, interesting that of the of the five ministries that are mentioned, if you if you mention teacher apart from pastor, some people call it the fivefold ministry. The only one that that was uh, the only one that existed pre crucifixion and pre pre resurrection was the ministry of the apostle. Remember, he called he called his apostles before his crucifixion and resurrection. He called his apostles in Matthew chapter 10 and Mark chapter 3. He prayed and he called, he called uh, 12 to be apostles, including Judas, who eventually betrayed him. All right? So he gave some to be apostles. Now, what is an apostle? An apostle? Good morning. How are you doing? Good. All right. An apostle is a specially sent missionary close the door close the door close the door an apostle is a specially sent missionary it is one who is sent in this case by the lord jesus christ to set up churches to establish order in churches and the apostle um is uh so what's the word i'm looking for the apostle is noted for the signs and the wonders that are in his life uh, that um, that that is that is that that is based on scripture paul said truly the signs of an apostle have been in my life he said it to the corinthian because there were there were some corinth there were some people in the corinthian church who didn't accept paul as an apostle they didn't want to obey what he was saying they they talked about him like a dog etc and paul said truly the signs of an apostle are in my life, he said, with signs and wonders, divers, miracles, etc. The original apostle, in order to be one of the original apostles, one of the foundational, see that there are no foundational apostles today because the foundation of the church has already been laid. It was laid 2,000 years ago, approximately 2,000 years ago. So there are no foundational apostles today. In order to be a foundational apostle, you had to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You had to witness his resurrection. It doesn't mean you had to be there when he rose from the dead. That's not because none of them were there. The Bible says if anybody was there, it was a woman named Mary Magdalene. The Bible says he first appeared unto her out of whom he had cast seven devils. So it's not saying you had to be at the tomb when Jesus rose from the dead, no. But it's saying you had to be a witness of his resurrection. That was one of the signs. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, Peter, let me read what Peter said in Acts chapter 1. This is, this is a very interesting, um, very interesting passage here. In, in Acts chapter 1, uh, let's see, Peter said, uh, da, 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 Peter stood up. In Acts 1 and 15, it says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of names together were about 120. These are the people in the upper room. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake concerning him, concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. When Jesus called his original 12 disciples, his original 12 apostles, he chose Judas as one of them. 
Now this man, talking about Judas, purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst. He hung himself, and I guess the rope broke or whatever, and all of his bowels gushed out, or his innards gushed out. He met a terrible death. Remember Jesus said, whoever betrays me had been good for him if he had never been born. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Aseldama, that is to say, the field of blood. Remember, there was no New Testament at this time, so they have to quote the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and let his bishopric, or his office, office, like your bishop, right? Let his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, Peter said, beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day that Jesus was taken up from, from us, right, Acts 1 and 9, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. You had to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus to be an apostle. That's why when Paul is called later as Saul on the road to Damascus, the Lord appears to him from glory. So he, Paul was a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. He, he may not have seen Jesus' um, a bodily resurrection, but he was still a witness to the resurrection because the Lord appeared unto him from glory. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Saul, who became Paul, was a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. So Peter said, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from among us, he being Jesus, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, because it's the Lord, it was the Lord's will that there be 12, back to 12 from 11, from which Judas by transgression fell. Remember, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which is the price of a dead slave. In the Old Testament, if you killed somebody's slave by accident or whatever, you had to, um, you had to give um, a restitution. It was 30 pieces of silver. So Judas betrayed Jesus, our Lord, for the price of a dead slave. If you can, if you can wrap your, your mind around that. He betrayed our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a dead slave. So, so they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show whether of these two thou hast chosen that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. I don't think it takes much to figure out what that place is. And they gave forth their lots. They cast lots. That's where we get the word lottery, if you can wrap your mind around that. They gave forth their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. One reason I'm sure the Lord didn't want 11 apostles in the Bible, 11 is a, number of, is a number of confusion. But 12 is a number of government. Now you say, well, how about when he added Paul? That made 13. That is true. I, I'm, I won't even try to deal with that issue. But I do know that 11 is a number of confusion in the Bible. 12 is a number of government. You had 12 sons of Jacob. You had 12 apostles of Jesus. 
And some people think the 24 elders in the book of Revelation represent the 12 uh, sons of Jacob, the patriarchs, and the 12 um, 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 apostles of Jesus. But that's another subject for another day. But the point is, to be an apostle, you had to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. Again, it did, it did not mean you had to be there at the tomb. When Jesus came out of the tomb, you didn't have to be standing there waiting because the apostles had fled. They, they were scared, you know, they were scared out of their mind. They, they, Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. Uh, the only one who kind of stuck around was John. John is at the cross, and, and Jesus said, uh, you know, behold your mother. And John took Jesus' mother in his home and cared for her from that day forward. So the only one who kind of stuck around, if you will, was the apostle John. But the Bible did prophesy that would happen because in Zechariah it says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. So Jesus had quoted that scripture prophesying that his disciples, for all their protestations of loyalty, oh, I will never betray you, Lord, not me, not me, I'm your boy. Jesus said, okay, I hear you, I love you, you love me. But, but, the, but, but Zechariah said, God said to Zechariah, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And Jesus quoted that scripture, showing that, that, uh, that he would be struck for our transgressions, right? And the sheep would be scattered. All right, so he gave some to be apostles, a specially sent envoy, a missionary, a missionary with, with, with uh, signs and wonders. Again, there are no foundational apostles because, the, for example, if somebody builds your house, uh, it may take them six months to build the house, but it doesn't take them six months to build the foundation. They might only spend two weeks on the foundation. So once the foundation is laid, it's laid. My point is there are no foundational apostles because the foundation of the church, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.20, you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. So there are no foundational apostles because the foundation of the church was laid. But that does not mean there are no apostles. There, there could be secondary apostles. It is not my place to say that, that there are no apostles today. I know many people say there are none. I, I, I'm not going to say that because I don't know. I don't know what God is doing over in Sri Lanka. I don't know what God is doing in Africa. I barely know what he's doing in the United States, so much less. I don't know what God is doing in Latin America. I don't know what God is doing in Russia. I don't know what God is doing in North Korea. Where, where you can, you know, where you can't even breathe without, you know, getting uh, killed. So I can say this scripturally, there are no foundational apostles because the foundation has already been laid. Once you lay the foundation of a building, then you build upon it. Remember Paul said as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds upon it, but let every man take heed how he builds upon it. For other foundation can nobody lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So I can say with scriptural, I can say with scriptural authority, there are no foundational apostles. But I cannot say with scriptural authority that there are no apostles. I don't, I don't, I don't know that. I've never met any, but I, I don't know that because my, my, my world. Uh, my Christian uh, orbit is very limited. I'm here in the state of Georgia. I don't travel a lot. I'm not a worldwide missionary. I've never been to Africa. I've only been to Mexico as far as Latin America. I've been to Mexico several times. I've done mission work down in Mexico. 
uh, et cetera, building churches down there. I've never been to Asia. I've never been to places where, uh, where, where the Lord may want to send the gospel, where he may send someone to do an apostolic work, including you know, with signs and wonders and divers miracles. I will say this, an apostle is supposed to be called by Jesus, not by men. So if you hear that, that men ordained a man to be an apostle, I just think that's something that needs to be prayed about. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But, uh, but apostles generally are called by Jesus. If you, go, if you use the pattern of the original apostles, they were called by Jesus. They weren't ordained. Remember Paul said to ordain elders in every church, etc. Apostles in the Bible were not ordained by men. Paul said it himself. Paul, an apostle uh, um, of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, neither by men, or he, he was letting the Galatians know. He was let, he, Paul always let the people know, y'all didn't call me. Jesus called me. So the original apostles, remember, Jesus called them. The original apostles didn't have their hands laid, didn't have hands laid on them because the only authority that's higher than an apostle is Jesus Christ himself. Now, so, so if men today say that they are apostles, and they're apostles because other men laid hands on them and ordained them to be apostles. I, I think that's problematic, but it's an area that I'm going to leave alone because my area is the fifth one. I'm a teacher. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. I'm in the fifth area. So, I, you know, I'm not going to claim to be an expert in the other four areas, but I will say there are no foundational apostles. But I cannot say with all certainty that there are no there are no apostles today. I'm not going to say that because my my uh, my knowledge of what the Lord is doing around the world is guess what? It's very very limited because I don't tra I don't travel even before COVID nineteen. I don't travel a lot. I've, I've done some mission work in Mexico, and I'm not out there in Asia. I'm not out there in Latin America where the Lord may have some secondary apostles doing some apostolic works. It's his church, it's his world, earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If he wants to call some people today, a man or a woman, to be an apostle, do an apostolic work with signs and wonders and divers miracles, guess what? It's his world, it's his church. So anyway, the apostle is a specially called missionary. Can the apostle be a pastor? Yes. Yes. Is every pastor an apostle? Of course not. But the apostle can be a pastor. Uh, Paul, John, the apostle John, he was a pastor in the Ephesian church for a while. Paul, uh, pa Paul was a pastor in the Ephesian church for a while. You see what I'm saying? So, every, so an apostle can be a pastor, but not every past. Most pastors are not apostles. All right. So the apostle, the apostle, excuse me, the Greek word is um, apostolos or apostolos. I, my Greek pronunciation is probably very terrible. But, but the Greek word is almost the same as the English word, called, a sent one, a sent one. Then the second person in the fivefold, oh, and it's very, again, I, I, I want to say of the fivefold ministry, it's very important to see that the only one that's mentioned pre-crucifixion and resurrection is the apostle. Jesus in, in Matthew 10 and Mark 3, he called, uh, he prayed. It says in Mark 3 that he, he prayed all night, I believe it was. And he prayed, got up early and prayed, whatever the passage says. And then he called certain men unto him. Now, why didn't he call any women to be apostles? I don't know. I don't think it was uh, that time in history for women to be apostles because 
in my thinking, 2,000 years later, it would have been great for him to call Mary Magdalene to be an apostle because she was the first one to witness his resurrection. So if anybody could have been a, a female apostle, it could have been Mary Magdalene. He did not call her to be an apostle. He could have called his mother to be an apostle, but he didn't. He didn't call women to be apostles 2,000 years ago, probably, probably because of the cultural context of the time. That, and that's all I can say. I don't know what the Lord was thinking, but I do know he's perfect. He didn't call women to be an apostles. Can a woman be an apostle today? I cannot say that she cannot be because I don't, I don't know what the Lord wants to do uh, with, uh, with that particular woman. The question I would ask, if somebody asks me, do I believe in women preachers or whatever? The question I would ask is, is God speaking? Is God speaking through her? If God is speaking through her, then I think every, every other argument has to go out the window. Is God speaking through her? Is the Holy Spirit speaking through her? Is Jesus Christ being glorified through her? That's the only question I would really ask. You know, and, and anything else, I'll let other people argue about it. All right. So the second person, the second person in the fivefold ministry is the prophet. He gave some to be apostles. He gave some to be prophets. If you notice the foundation of the church in Ephesians 2 and 20, it says you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It doesn't say you are built upon the foundation of the apostle, the prophet, the, the uh, evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. It says the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. So it appears to me that scripturally, the, the, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers are supposed to build upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. That, that's what it appears to me. Let me say that again. The apostles and the prophets are mentioned in, in Ephesians 2.20. You are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And here he's talking about New Testament prophets. Because the Old Testament prophets, they didn't have the mystery of the church. They had great revelation of the kingdom of God. They had great revelation of the covenants that God made with the Jews, the Abrahamic covenant, the, the, the Davidic covenant, the land covenant, what we call the Palestinian covenant. The Old Testament prophets had great insight into the last days. Uh, Daniel, Ezekiel, uh, um, um, Jeremiah, uh, Zechariah, Zephaniah, they had great insight into, into what we call the Lord's Day, Joel, right, the Day of the Lord, etc. But they didn't have the, but they knew nothing about the mystery of the church. So when, so when he says you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, no doubt he's talking about the New Testament prophets because the New Testament prophets uh, were given the mystery, the knowledge of the mystery of the church that Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 3. All right, so the prophet. What does the prophet do? The prophet, remember, I always say, and it's not my original saying, somebody else said it and I heard it, and now I'm saying it. The, the, the priest goes to God on behalf of the people. The prophet goes to the people on behalf of God. Let me say that again. The priest goes to God on behalf of the people. Praise for the people and also praise for himself, the Bible says, because the priest is also human and he's, he's, he's got infirmities and sins that he has to repent for. The prophet goes to the people, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, or the New Testament prophets. The prophets go to the people and say, thus says the Lord. Let me use an example uh, in, in what we're dealing with today. 
Medically speaking, Dr. Fauci is a prophet. I'm not saying he's a prophet in the church. I don't even know if the man is a Christian. But he's a prophet medically speaking. He's speaking truth. And very few people want to listen. And guess what? When prophets of God speak truth, very few people want to listen. Because the prophet comes speaking the truth of the gospel, the truth of God, and, and, and reveals the uh, hearts of men, and very few people want to listen. So when Dr. Fauci said some months ago, we need to be careful about such and such, and we need to be careful about opening too early, most people didn't want to listen. Most people wanted to listen to the prophet Donald Trump. They want to. It's kind of like people chose to listen to false prophets instead of listening to Jeremiah. Jeremiah said you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. The false prophets, the prosperity prophets, if you will, the prosperity prophets say, no, don't listen to Jeremiah. He don't know what he's talking about. Everything's going to be all right. Well, who, who turned out to be right? Jeremiah did. The Jews were in captivity for 70 years. So people, including government officials, listened to Donald Trump instead of listening to Dr. Fauci, and now you see what we have. We have this uh, resurgence of this deadly virus, and we haven't even entered into the flu season. So the prophet goes to the people on behalf of God. Now, what does a prophet do? Well, a prophet prophesies. What is it to prophesy? Prophesy has two elements. There's forth, F-O-R-T-H, there's forth-telling, and there's foretelling. Forthtelling is more in the sense of preaching. Foretelling is that has the element of prediction. So not all prophecy, not all prophecy is is foretelling. The prophet preaches and the prophet predicts. The prophet, matter of fact, in Israel, if 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 you preach, if you if you gave a prophecy and it, and it was found out that it wasn't true, God said um, stone that person. God gave permission to kill that person, because that person was considered a false prophet. So when, when so so if you were a prophet, you better know that you were a prophet of God, because if you prophesied something that was false, the people had permission from God to stone you. Now, was Jesus a prophet? Yes. Moses said, a prophet, the Lord your God will raise up like unto me, him you shall hear. And everyone who does not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Just like Jesus was an apostle. Jesus was all of the fivefold ministry. The Bible calls him the apostle and high priest of our profession. Sent from God. Remember I said an apostle is sent from a higher authority, a specially sent missionary whose ministry is defined by signs and wonders and divers miracles. Well, we don't even have to mention Jesus having signs and wonders. I mean, come on now. I mean, the Bible says that the books of the world at that time especially couldn't contain the amount of works and miracles and things that he did. So yes, Jesus, the Bible calls him the apostle and high priest of our profession. Yes, he's a prophet. The Bible calls Jesus the faithful and true witness. If the, it, that is the best definition the Bible can give of a prophet. The faithful and true witness, not a false prophet, not a prophet like Balaam who could be seduced for money. Jesus, the faithful and true. When the people came and tried to make him a king, he, he went and hid himself because he knew that wasn't the will of God. He was Jesus is the faithful and true witness. So Jesus, Jesus fulfills all of the fivefold ministry, the evangelist, the pastor, the shepherd, right? The good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, and of course, the teacher. 
There, there's no teacher like Jesus, the rabbi, the great rabbi from Nazareth. Yes. So the prophet goes to the people on behalf of God. The prophet prophesies, but the prophecy is not always predictive. If you read the prophecies in the Old Testament even, many of those prophecies are not predictive prophecies. They're preaching they're preaching to the people to, to forsake the idols of, of, of uh, Balaam, of, of uh, Baal, to forsake the idols that your fathers worshipped, etc. And many of the prophets uh, died, Isaiah, Jeremiah. We don't know, Jer- we don't know where Jeremiah is bar- buried. Supposedly he's buried in Egypt. We, we don't know. We don't know what happened to Jeremiah. He's a great prophet. We don't know what happened to him. Isaiah supposedly was sawed in half by the wicked king Manasseh. So, 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 so the prophet, remember God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach what I tell you to preach. Jonah said, I'm not going to Nineveh. I ain't going to Nineveh, God. I know I'm your prophet. I ain't going to Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh was in the east. Jonah got, Jonah got on a cruise ship going west. He didn't want to go preach because he knew that God was going to forgive the people. That's a weird, weird reason to not want to preach. But Jonah was a prophet. Jesus said, I'm not going to, you're not going to get any more signs from me except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So Jesus uh, affirmed that Jonah was a prophet. Daniel was a prophet. Jesus talked about the prophecies of the last days, what's called the Olivet Discourse. He said, according, he said, when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So Daniel was a prophet. Uh, the Bible says Abraham was a prophet. He wasn't a prophet in the sense of we, we think of Isaiah and Ezekiel, or Daniel, Jeremiah, uh, uh, Hosea, etc., etc. But Daniel, uh, but Isaiah, but uh, excuse me, uh, Abraham was a prophet in that he was um, called by God and he was a spokesman for God. So when God uh, was going to king kill King Abimelech in Genesis chapter 20, he says, now, if you restore uh, Abraham's wife to him, I'm going to have Abraham pray for you, for he is a prophet. I'm going to have Abraham pray for you. And then when Abraham prays for you, I'm going to heal you. Gonna, because God had given all the women uh, tumors and uh, he had jacked because, because it was partially Abraham's fault. I don't want to go into all the details. It was partially Abraham's fault, but, but King Abimelech wanted Abraham's wife. And God said, if you touch that woman, if you so much as lay a hand on that woman, you're a dead man. And Abimelech said, Lord, I didn't know. Uh, Abraham said that it was his sister. And God said, I, I know, I, I know. But give that man his wife back or we're going to have some problems. And I'm going to have Abraham pray. Or he, at, at that time, he might have been Abram. I can't remember. I think he was Abraham at the time. He says, I'm going to have Abraham pray for you. For he is a prophet. The Bible calls David a prophet. So prophet can take on um, a meaning of spokesperson for God. Samuel is recognized pretty much as the first prophet of Israel. But 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 the Bible does call Abraham a prophet, calls David a prophet, etc. So the prophet goes to the people on God's behalf. The priest goes to God on behalf of the people. The prophet prophesies forth, F-O-R-T-H, forth telling, as preaching, but the prophet, if the prophet has the prophetic gift, he can foretell. One of the gifts in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 12 is the gift of prophecy. And so uh, if you know anybody who has the gift of prophecy, their prophecies will also have that predictive element in it. So it, when Daniel predicts uh, 70 weeks of, of uh, 490 years 
uh, and 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 I'm, I don't want to go into the set Daniel seventy weeks right now because I'll be two hours on that. But the prophet, God gives the prophet insight into the future, because God knows the future. He's he's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. So God knows the beginning from the end and in between. So so God can give a prophet insight into the future. It could be the near future or it could be far into the future. Many of the prophecies of Daniel, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, etc., haven't even been fulfilled yet. And those are prophecies given, uh, you know, 27, 28, 3,000 years ago. Many of those prophecies still have not been fulfilled. Prophecies pertaining to Israel, the last days, the Antichrist, etc. So the prophet goes to the people, on be a true prophet goes to the people on behalf of God. All right. So are there prophets today? Of course there are. Of course there are prophets today. All right. Because remember, uh, there are no foundational apostles. There are no foundational prophets because the foundation of the church has already been laid. But we can't say there are no prophets today. We, we don't know that. Now, there are many people, many of our good Christian brethren who say, that there are no prophets today, et cetera. Well, okay, but I, I, don't, I, I don't take that upon me to say that because I don't know what God is doing and God certainly doesn't have to tell me and he doesn't tell me. I don't know what God is doing around the world. I don't. So I can't say that there are no prophets, but I can say there are no foundational apostles, um, excuse me, prophets, just like there are no foundational apostles because the foundation has already been laid. And once you lay the foundation, you build upon it. You don't keep laying the foundation. You build upon the foundation, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So there's no need for a foundational prophet, but it doesn't mean there's no need for prophets to still exist. In the, I realize some denominations uh, don't recognize these individuals uh, still existing today. That, that's not my problem. That's not my issue. The third person in the five-fold ministry is the evangelist. Look in the middle of the word of evangelist and you see the word angel. Evangelist, E-V, and then A-N-G-E-L. The evangelist is a, is a messenger. The word angel in Greek means messenger. So the evangelist is a messenger. Generally not tied down to one church like a pastor. The evangelist, the best example that I can think of would probably be uh, Billy Graham. Notice Billy Graham did not pass through a, a church. Billy Graham went all over the world. The evangelist's message is very simple. The evangelist doesn't get into deep doctrine. See, I'm a teacher. I'm, in, I'm the teaching. I, I'll go into deep in the Ephesians, you know, deep. I'll take a deep dive. The evangelist says, Jesus is Lord. He loves you. Give your life to Jesus. And, and he'll, he'll, he or she will pack his bags and keep moving. And, go, and, the, and then go to the next town. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He's the only answer for, our, for the problems of the world. Pack his or her bags. Next town. Jesus Christ is the, is the resurrection and the life. Give your life to him before it's too late. Pack her bags. Next city. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the... The evangelist's message is very simple. It's, it's so simple, a two-year-old child could understand it. The evangelist doesn't go, if you notice, if you listen, go back and listen to some of Billy Graham's messages. I'm sure they're on YouTube and on um, uh, TBN. You, you can see, probably see them on demand or whatever. 
and I've, I've listened to Billy Graham for years. I took my mother to one of his crusades. She gave her life to Christ before she passed on in 2006. Listen to Billy Graham's messages. He doesn't, he doesn't go deep. He doesn't go, he doesn't take a deep dive into the book of Revelation. He did write a book called The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. No, he wrote a book called Approaching Hoofs, Hoofbeats, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. So he did write a book about the book of Revelation. But when you hear a book, but when you heard Billy Graham preach, he didn't go deep into the Re book of Revelation, you know, the 13th chapter, Babylon, the beast, and the Antichrist. He didn't go deep into that because his, his ministry was Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Give your life to Christ. Jesus, Billy Graham, he would always have the altar call. The choir would sing the same song, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And people come up sobbing, you know, oh Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, all defiled. That, that, was, that was Billy Graham's ministry. If Billy Graham uh, got saved, there was a man preaching one night, a preacher named Mordecai Ham was preaching in somewhere, I don't know where, and there was a young, lanky, tall, skinny, uh, North Carolina boy out there in the audience named Billy Graham. And the rest, as they say, is history. And so he, he's the evangelist. Again, look, look at the word evangelist, look in the middle of it, it has the word angel, evangelist. The word angel, again, in Greek means, mess, he's a messenger, he's the messenger of Christ. Uh, but he doesn't, uh, now Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. So a pastor can do evangelistic work because the pastor is trying to go out into the community and reach people. So the pastor can do evangelistic work, but the evangelist is generally not a pastor, if that makes sense. Let me say that again. The pastor can do evangelistic work because the pastor doesn't want to stay confined to the four walls of the, uh, of the church. So the pastor can do evangelistic work, even teaming up with other churches uh, uh, whenever Billy Graham would come to town, before he would come to town, he would have advanced teams, and they would work with um, certain denominations. Some denominations weren't going to work with Billy Graham because they probably felt he was, you know, wasn't you know preaching their um, doctrine. But but Billy Graham's advanced teams would would work with certain denominations, mostly Baptists and Methodists, etc., and to get the churches together. This was before, of course, mostly before the internet, and get the churches together. And so when Billy Graham would show up at a stadium, he, he could fill a 30,000-person um, stadium because you had hundreds of churches that worked together and to come to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Crusade. And it was Billy Graham, very simple. You, you, you never had to call him Dr. Billy Graham. He, he probably had hundreds of honorary doctorates I don't think he ever earned had an earned doctorate. I, I do know he went to Wheaton College, which is a Bible college. I don't think he ever had an earned doctorate, but I know he probably. I'm sure he had hundreds of uh, honorary doctorates, but he never said, "Call me Doctor Billy Graham." He said, "Call me Billy Graham." Simple, simple. Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten. That, that's Billy Graham's message. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but ever, everlasting life. He, he would combine that with uh, examples from the world. When he first started preaching, if you, if you can ever see some of the footage when he first started preaching, 
uh, he was um, he was a rabid, you know, anti-communist, and he would because he started preaching like in the early fifties, late forties, and he was a rabid anti-communist. He started preaching, um, and so he was preaching in California one time, and uh, William Randolph Hearst, who owned Hearst newspapers, if you remember his granddaughter, I think it was Patty Hearst, was kidnapped kidnapped in the nineteen seventies. Um, he he gave he gave the word to promote Billy Graham's ministry. He used the expression "Puff Graham." And so that helped to promote Billy Graham's ministry, etc. That's the evangelist. The evangelist has a very simple message. You're not going to see the evangelist spending uh, two hours trying to explain the book of Romans. The evangelist will, will go to Romans 10 and 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But you're not going to see the evangelist like I would because I'm a teacher. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not an apostle. I'm not a prophet. I'm, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm a teacher. So I'll, I'll spend six weeks on Romans. <laughs> I'll spend two months on Ephesians because that's my ministry. But the evangelist is not going to spend uh, three hours trying to explain justification by faith in the book of Romans or how God has set aside Israel until uh, the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The evangelist might touch on those subjects. But the evangelist is not going to take a deep dive. The evangelist is just trying to get you to come to Jesus. And then once you come to Jesus, the evangelist wants you to get involved with your, with your local church. Billy Graham was very careful to always say, get involved with the local church. Get involved with the local church. Get involved with the local church. So the evangelist wants you to come to Jesus. And then once you come to Jesus, then the pastors of the local churches have the responsibility to make sure that you grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me go back to the prophet just for a second. I believe Martin Luther King was a prophet, a New Testament prophet. Sometimes the prophet, and I'm sure this could be for any of the callings, sometimes the prophet starts out in another area. Many of the prophets in the Old Testament were um, from the priestly line, from the, from the tribe of Levi. If you read the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, if you read the beginning of the book of Ezekiel, it says, and let me read it to you. I think it's, I think it's worth uh, looking at. Let me read to you the beginning of Jeremiah and then the, be and then the beginning of Ezekiel. And these guys came out of the priestly line. Remember I said the priest goes to God on behalf of the people. But listen to the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priest that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. So Jeremiah's, Je Jeremiah was set up to be a priest. The priest again goes to, burns incense, serves in the temple. And God says, uh, and God, and to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign, it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, blah, blah, blah. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying that before I formed you in the belly, I knew you, and before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you. I ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. See, Jeremiah was of the priestly line. God says, no, I, I, I want you to be a prophet. Now that's the beginning of Jeremiah. Now let me read the beginning of Ezekiel to you. It's going to say, it's going to say ex ex almost exactly the same thing. It's going to say something very similar. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Chibar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw the visions of God. Verse three: The word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest. 
the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chebar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. So Ezekiel, like Jeremiah, started out in the as far as being a, was ordained to be a, a priest. And God said, no, I got something else I want you to do. So sometimes the, the, sometimes the prophet, I believe uh, Amos, if I'm not mistaken, was Amos, uh, who had been a farmer. I believe it was Amos who said, I'm, I'm just a shepherd. I'm just a farm boy. What, you know, who, who am I? And again, I could, I could have the wrong prophet there, but I think it was Amos. I use Martin Luther King as an example. How did Martin Luther King start out? He started out pastor in a little church in, in Montgomery, Alabama. Went to seminary. Got his doctorate. He, he went to uh, Crozier Theological. Got his master's at Crozier. Then he went to uh, Boston University and got his Ph.D. in systematic theology. Probably could have stayed up north and had an easier life because there was uh, less uh, segregation up north. Not saying there was none, because there was, but there was less segregation up north than in the Jim Crow South. He comes back to the south to a Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, ironically, right across the street from the Alabama State Capitol where the Confederate flag at that time was flying in all of its pride and supposed glory. So he's pastoring this sleepy, this, this Baptist church in uh, sleepy, even though Montgomery's the capital in, in the 1950s, it's a sleepy little southern segregated town. And he's pastoring. He's there with his wife, Coretta, who had a career as an activist before Martin Luther King did, but who was a, a singer. Uh, she was a renowned singer. I can't remember what school she went to, but she's from Alabama, I think from Marion, Alabama. But anyway, long story short, Martin Luther King is pastoring uh, in, 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 in a Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, probably thinking he's going to be a pastor and, and uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then what happens? The Montgomery bus boycott. And they wanted some new leadership. They didn't want the old heads, uh, you know, that the police already knew and some of the older preachers had already been broken by Jim Crow. And so they got this young, I think he's like 26, something like that. They, got this, they get this young um, preacher to head the Montgomery Improvement Association, MIA, and then the, the Montgomery bus boycott. And then Dr. King gets with some other preachers after the success of that bus boycott, and they start the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in 1957, the year I was born, in Atlanta, Georgia. So my point is, he started out as a pastor. And then he, for a while, he, he, became, he, he left Alabama and became the assistant pastor at, at Ebenezer, where his father, Daddy King, was. But he started out as a pastor. But I believe that God called him to be a prophet to the nation. He, 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 he went and spoke to the nation. And like other prophets, he, he, he died for that reason. He didn't, he didn't die because he was a pastor at a sleepy um, church in Montgomery, Alabama. He, he took a bullet because he, he prophesied and, and, and said, you know, thus says the Lord, you got to treat the poor. He died defending the poor, the, the, the garbage workers in Montgomery. He died in Memphis, Tennessee, of course, as we, as we all know. But he died as a prophet of God. He, he died uh, uh, prophesying. Not always in the predictive sense, although if you listen to his teachings and preaching and read his writings, there is, there is prediction. People are, are just now saying he was right about the Vietnam War. Prophets normally don't receive the honor, the benefit of the doubt in their lifetime. It'll be 100 years later, people will say, you know, that prophet was right. 
And so we're 50, what, 52 years after Martin Luther King's death. And people are just now saying, you know, he was right about the Vietnam War. You know, he was right about such and such. You know, he's right. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it does bend toward justice. You know, he was right. Truth forever on the throne. Truth forever on the scaffold. Wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. And behind the dim unknown standeth God, keeping watch above his own. You know, he was right about that. But point is, prophets normally don't get the benefit of the doubt in their lifetime. Prophets normally get assassinated, get killed, because the Bible says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And so when he, uh, you know, it was one thing to preach about lunch counters in the South and buses in the South, but then he began to preach about economic redistribution. Now you're stepping on some big toes. He began to preach about economic